Buffalo Pod. Anthony Teasdale here. Just wanted to let you know in this episode, we're joined by our colleague, Joe Fulmer, LCSW. And Joe is in a location outside, so you may hear some background noises coming just because she joined us from being outside um, at another home because of some internet connectivity issues. So any background noises you hear, that's what's going on in the background. So look forward to you listening to this episode of the podcast. Here's Filling Scene, a UNC Caps podcast. Is Dr. Anthony Teasdale. And I'm Dr. Erin Scott, clinical psychologist at CAPS. And we are so excited today to have with us our colleague, Joe Fulmer. Um, Joe, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, I'm so excited to be here and to talk with both of you. Um, I'm Joe, I'm a clinical social worker at CAPS. Um, I've been at CAPS, I think this is my fifth year or going into my fifth academic year. Um, yeah, and I've been, I was in practice before being a CAPS. I worked primarily in community mental health settings, um, but had done my, my practicum at, at UNC CAPS and knew that I wanted to get back to college counseling. So I was kind of always looking for an opportunity to do that. And a, actually a temp position came up and I quickly got, got in there and was able to, able to stay on and become a permanent staff member. So I really just love love working at CAPS and wearing different hats and doing group and doing individual work and um, working with awesome colleagues. So it just feels appreciative for all the different things we get to do. And um, yeah. Yeah. So can you tell us more about that? What drew you back? What drew you yeah. into college mental health? What drew you back to that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I can go a little further back and just think about social work, because I think I, I'm a social worker before I'm a therapist, and that still feels true, even though therapy is what I really love to do. I, social work is first for me, and um, when I was in college, I always thought that I was going to do like policy work after college. I majored in political science and had a minor in social justice, and thinking about like social justice issues at a policy level, I kind of thought that was where I was headed and I was going to DC after college to do a service year um, at, a, at a large nonprofit there that um, serves mostly poor folks, minoritized individuals who need access to lots of different services. So I worked at this awesome place called Bread for the City that has a medical clinic and a legal clinic, a social services department, a food pantry, a housing program. So all these kind of different things in one place. And I worked in social services there. Um, and my thought was, you know, I feel like a lot of maybe college students and certainly 22 year old people think like I'm going to get some on the ground experience and then I'm going to like go on. Um, so I thought I would get into policy work, but I just, I loved my supervisors and the social workers I was working with. They were so, um, they were so down to earth and they were so real. And I, and I learned quickly how much I preferred to work with people um, and that the relationship piece was so important. Um, so then I was like, okay, I can, I'm going to do social work, um, whether that's here or somewhere else. And I ended up staying on there as a staff person for a couple of years after, um, after my service here. And I actually applied to grad school in DC and was going to go, go to American University there. Um, and I was actually going to keep working full time to be able to afford grad school. Um, but then my partner got, um, had been applying to grad school and got into UNC. So I decided to, to follow him to North Carolina. Um, and still kind of thought like I was going to do social work and that I was going to do kind of social services level social work. So um, I just had really loved working with people in that way and helping them get connected to different services and similar to college counseling, although I didn't know at the time was wearing different hats, doing different things, going out into the community. I really, really liked it. And um, I come from a, a family that service is kind of first and thinking about other people is first. So that was always, I always knew that I wanted to be in some kind of helping profession, but it started to get, you know, clarified for me that I wanted to be a social worker in DC. So then I, um, I took a year to establish residency in North Carolina when, uh, when Cole and I moved here and worked overnight at a shelter twice a month, so like 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. 
to be able to contribute like a couple hundred dollars to the family household. I think I was like covering groceries and on his stipend, Cole was doing all the other things on his really glorious, you know, grad student stipend um, <laughs> while, while I was establishing residency. And I actually did that through grad school, which was kind of silly. Like, I, I feel like I was writing these like adult mental health papers at 2 a.m. in the office of this women's shelter, like attuned to every sound. Um, so I did that um, and then got, went to UNC for grad school and then started to better kind of understand what it means to be a therapist. I'd always, I'd been in therapy at different points in my life and really gotten a lot out of it, but never really saw myself in that role or didn't even really kind of understand what the training is for that or what that looks like. Yeah. Um, but, but then had some really cool faculty folks and then did my prac year at UNC and was hooked, was hooked with <laughs> students, hooked with, yeah, I just love like identity development and the kinds of issues that folks are dealing with at the stage of life is so fascinating. So then it's like, I was sunk in and didn't want to, you know, didn't want to leave, graduated, didn't want to leave and went back to community work for a couple of years and came back. Awesome. Wow, Joe, that's just such an amazing story. And I really like how even when you were establishing residency, you were doing something that still felt so core to your values and your passion. And I'm curious how, you know, coming from a political science background where advocacy and kind of social justice seemed important to you, have you been able to keep doing those sorts of activities while um, being a therapist? Have you been able to engage in that work here through CAPS? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good question, Erin. I think you know, in some ways, yes, and in some ways, no, you know, it's sort of like, I think there are, there are always ways that we can be advocating for our clients and alongside our clients, and I think also doing referral coordination um, at CAPS helps me to do that and sort of helping folks get connected to services. I think there's a lot of advocacy in that, and I think that um, I appreciate the types of social justice conversations and things that happen with clients and sort of as they're kind of figuring those things out and who do they want to be in the world and how do they want to, you know, how do they want to serve. I feel like so many of our students are service oriented. So I think there are ways um, as a therapist to really um, to really do that and like allowing people to be seen on an individual level sort of helps me think about how people um, can translate that to feeling seen in the broader world and that feels like advocacy and then I'm also like man I wish I felt like I had the time or the energy to be like other stuff you know <laughs> whatever you know like in the streets writing a letter right? like in college I was super involved in like voter outreach stuff and um just spent a lot of time doing that and and also in college I think I thought like that is what that's what you do. Like, that's kind of all there is if you can get people to understand the importance of the political process. So I'm appreciative that like the personal is the political, you know, is so much broader for me now than it was then. But I still think about that. And still like, even last night was like looking for how do I sign up to do some phone banking and feel like I don't have any <laughs> like th I'm like three hour shifts and then it said something like most people sign up for two shifts per weekend and I was like most people must have nothing else to do um, <laughs> so I'm grateful to have you know there, there are ways that it shows up I think in our in our work and in our clinical work and in group too and yeah mm -hmm. yeah I think it does kind of flow through yeah, so you 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 teed it right up for me, probably on purpose. Um, you know, all you have to do is start with the G, and I I just hear group and start to lose my mind. Um, so you've contributed a lot to Caps, and I've personally just appreciated getting to interact with you and and speak with you, and you bring so much to the table. But I think one of your greatest contributions to Caps is that you've been the person who started and has been running our dissertation support group. And so I wanted to, you gave me the opening to ask you about, uh, to ask you about that process of how that came to you as a group you saw us having a need for, what the process was like of getting that started and what it's been like for you to, to get to facilitate that group over the last couple of years. Yeah, thanks. Um, 
groups. We could go on. We could go out of a group. And, and we will. <laughs> we will. Yeah, yeah. There's no shortage. We just run through the list. Um, <laughs> so the dissertation group, um, gosh, when I don't even know when it was, Anthony. Like two. Is it two years ago? Two years. Fall, like two years. Yeah. So 2018, maybe. Like fall 2018, so, maybe. Like yeah. Um, so I think there's two pieces. There's a personal piece, which I'll talk about with my husband being a grad student, and then also kind of what we were seeing at CAPS. And I think that um, it, my understanding, and I haven't been there that long, but my understanding is that there have been times throughout the years where grad students have expressed interest in more kind of specific support for the PhD process. Um, we certainly know that the doctoral students, especially in the later stages, experience imposter syndrome and anxiety and depression at higher rates than the broader student population um, and are also less likely to seek support and feeling doing a lot of impression management and feeling like they had to have it all together um, and also just being really sort of intellectual and cognitive and sort of I've just got to push through and maybe not making as much space for their emotions and just other parts of their experience or their life. Um, and I feel like I was hearing that on triage, just hearing that from colleagues that they had individual clients that were really struggling with really similar concerns and isolation was so big um, for folks that are like in their apartment in Carborough, you know, years after having completed their classes, trying to get this dissertation done and, and managing maybe lots of other different roles, being parents, maybe having to, you know, work, Additionally, on the side, to be the stipend can be so low, and it can take folks a long time. So there were all these factors that seemed really, really ripe for a group process and being able to just connect with people like in, uh, you know, somebody in the humanities talking to somebody in biology and having such similar experiences. And I think people, grad students, tend to, I don't know, often feel like they're alone or they're comparing themselves to other people in their own department and feeling like everybody else has got it together, everybody else is doing well, I'm the only one with the struggle. Um, so it seemed like it was a really, it was a need. Um, so, and, and it also, I was in a place where I was, um, I wasn't quite sure what groups I was doing. I had done, I think I had done an abbreviated self-compassion group and hadn't done much else um, in terms of co-facilitating groups. So it was a nice time for me to think about I knew I really liked group work and how to contribute to that. So that was sort of the piece of it. Um, and I talked, I talked with you a lot, Anthony, and with Elizabeth as well about how to kind of set something like this up and what kind of outreach would be required. And talking with some folks in the graduate school to figure out how to get it to get it off the ground. And, and it wasn't surprising that it, it filled easily and was able to get a number of students interested that first semester. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the coolest things about this group is it fills every semester and it just, like you were saying, it really, to me, it speaks to the core um, function of group, right? Which is that people often sort of figure they're doing this alone and then you layer, layer that with the grad student identity um, and achievement oriented and com competition and you can sort of feel like you're the only one struggling. Um, so we've really benefit from being able to see students go through. You have, I understand, some repeaters sometimes that can come through several times. So, you know, if you're listening to this and you're and this sounds like you, right, you're in that phase. Unfortunately, group is closed for this fall semester 2020, but it is a group that we as CAPS plan on continuing to provide because it, A, it's a need that is really being filled. And, we, and again, it speaks to our understanding of how group can really function, which is being connected to others who, like Joe was saying, no matter your department, you're going through similar, similar things. Um, and I also think this is kind of linked to what you were saying earlier, Joe, about like the personal being political. And so I'm curious how you, knowing that your partner was going through and got recently, um, Cole got his PhD and is um, doing wonderful things, but just wondering how that was for you to be, you know, helping and, and, and sitting with folks who are in something that you were also living or had yeah. recently lived. What was that like for you? Yeah, I remember Anthony and I talking about this a lot right at the beginning, like, what was that going to be like? And, and also me not having a PhD, like, you know, being being a therapist, but not having gone through this process. And, uh, you know, Cole was my, my case study or, you know, bouncing ideas off of him about, like, what do you, you know, what do you think about this kind of 
activity or conversation, right? And, and also, you know, of course I draw, I always draw on things that either, you know, usually often things that he has heard, sometimes things he's experienced himself. And I think, you know, for him, I think he was really fortunate to have a pretty decent experience overall, but the sort of, uh, the isolation was real, the, the publication pressure I think is huge. And I, and I think at UNC, there's a, there's a real pressure because it's an R1 university for grad students to be publishing, but they're also teaching and they're also maybe publishing under, you know, different pressures from depending on their advisor and departmental expectations. And it maybe isn't necessarily what they're passionate about or wanting to do. And maybe they're not, you know, planning on working at an R1 institution and getting a, getting a tenure track job. So there's all these different layers. And um, so it was interesting for me. I think it was only helpful. There were times when I was worried about it, like, what's this going to be like that I'm spending, you know, this time supporting this group of students who I can, can really relate to, you know, relate to what's going on for them, especially folks that were later stage and partnered and maybe thinking about family and stuff like, you know, stuff that was happening in our house. Um, but he, he, I mean, still super helpful in terms of, of bouncing ideas off of and he's got you know got some one-liners that that I've used and he, I've, you know to, told told small pieces of his story without without saying they're they're his um, yeah, yeah. Cole has a great story of um, he had submitted a paper for peer review and had, had, I think he had already had one publication and when it came back the reviewer you know he's anonymous the reviewers are anonymous and one of the reviewers had said that um, this person really needs to consider Harvey's argument from 2017 so they were asked they were telling him to consider his own argument from a previous paper <laughs> but they didn't know they didn't know that it was him so that's, that's interesting so sometimes I tell that story in group <laughs> just about the randomness of like what gets accepted and, yeah. <laughs> I'll consider my own thoughts that I had two years ago on this subject yeah exactly right <laughs> exactly yeah oh yeah let me make sure I weave those in <laughs> so it's been yeah it's been it's been good it's been helpful and he's and he's super supportive um and has you know just he's excited that it happens so, yeah yeah, I'm really glad we're able to offer the group both because Aaron was talking about it, you know, it's filled and right now and, 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 and has been since you since you started it. So it's been it's been very popular, clearly a need um, that's been fit. And I think about my own dissertation process and um, I did my internship. We do um, in our in counseling and clinical psychology in our last year of our doctorate we have an internship and so i went off to university of houston to do mine and i was all ready to get to work on my dissertation i got there i went and consulted with someone in their psych department and my study was qualitative so i needed some raters raters to be on my study and look at the transcripts that i had and do things and the person i spoke to sort of said, I don't think you'll get anyone to volunteer for this, to be a raider. And I got very deflated in that. And so actually didn't work on my dissertation for quite a few months. And then when I finally got to work on it, I didn't end up finishing by the time I finished my internship. And so, and so I say that and share that just to say there's a lot of bumps in the road and a lot of hurdles to the process of finishing up a dissertation and finishing up a doctorate. And I experienced a few of those. And I, I imagine Aaron might be able to tell some stories too. And so a, a group like this is really valuable to help people get past or get over some of those bumps in the road and not get, like I got, a bit dejected and mm -hmm. kind of taking in feedback from the wrong source versus the reality was I had no problem getting people to help me when it came to it. And so a group like this can be really valuable in helping support people through all of those ups and downs in the process and those bumps in the road. Sure. So. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. It's amazing how one comment, I think I hear this a lot, right? One thing, one comment from an advisor or a peer, what it can really disrupt the process and especially in dissertation when it can feel so isolated and like I have to kind of I'm creating this new thing there can be a lot of pressure around it that mm -hmm. it can really 
really throw things off if somebody get, you know that inner critic can can kick in. I think it can really set people off on a different on a different path and somebody in group recently and I've heard this before you know a good a good dissertation is a done dissertation and trying you know <laughs> help people know that right you just have to get it done and uh, <laughs> and and like make it meaningful to you right I feel like it's like this is your work you know having it be meaningful to you and it can be really hard to quiet the voices and, yeah for sure yeah. One of the things I really like that you touched on with um, the group composition is that people also can be in this phase of life where, you know, they have this dissertation, this, this big, huge thing, and they're thinking about other life goals, partnerships, starting a family. And part of what we wanted, why we wanted to have you on today is to talk about parenting. And so want to segue a little bit into that. Um, groups will come back up because that's an important part of what we talk about. But yeah, I'm thinking about sort of um, you and I are both parents and parenting in the time of COVID. And I'm curious, you can both share if things have come up in your group, but also just sort of what this has been like for you and, and what the challenges are. And um, yeah, Anthony and I will kind of tag you with questions that we maybe have and, and I'll jump in as well. But Talk to us about, yeah, your process with parenting and, and what comes up for you, whether it's in group or, or individually with yourself. Yeah, yeah. Oh, parenting in the time of COVID. It's always, <laughs> always something, right? Um, you know, at the beginning, I remember being, my sister lives in Durham and was living with us for a while. And we were in the backyard at the very beginning of COVID and and she said something like, it's so nice that this is happening in the spring because the weather is cool. It's nice to be outside. It's okay to be at home. Who knew we were gonna, it was gonna go through all of summer into fall, into winter, right? It was like, we thought, oh, this is gonna be okay. Like we can be home with Eleanor during the day and do all this stuff outside. And then it lasted a lot longer. So <laughs> remember, remembering that. I also had this plan that lasted for about a week to take a short video every day of the pandemic, but then I realized it was gonna last forever. Um, just sort of about what, what happened during the day in our house. And and I did keep a notebook for a while that I did find helpful of something because we, Eleanor's daycare closed, whatever, March 17th there, you know, whatever it all, it all happened, right? There was no more daycare. So doing some recording, which was helpful for my own processing kind of in the beginning when I didn't, so many of us didn't know how to make sense of what was going on and it feels so drastically different now than it did in March and um, so that was kind of fun to write down you know write down some things that she was doing and, and so at the beginning I, I had some gratitude and appreciation for witnessing her development in a different way being home with her you know like live in Durham and drive to Chapel Hill I, there were you know most days about almost 12 hours that I wasn't with her um, and bedtime would come pretty quickly after after I got home from work. So I, in the beginning and, and still too, but more, much more in the beginning, it was really sweet to feel like, okay, this is my primary job. I still have my job, but I've got to take care of my kid and, and be with her. And, and there's a gift in, in that for a while. Um, and just kind of fun to see, fun to see the day to day and some <laughs> of the, the quirks and you know on and on. Um, and then daycare was closed for four months, um, so that was it was a long time <laughs> and it was a long time. Um, and Cole was a wet Cole was in Wisconsin doing a postdoc and he had to kind of frantically come back and um, so then there were three adults and a two year old. Well, she wasn't two yet, but she's two now, a two-year-old and two dogs and 700 square feet. And everybody was working and living in this small space. So, I, you know, we tried to, <laughs> tried to see a lot of joy in, in the fun of it. But man, the stress, you know, the stress and the sort of, you know, how to, I don't know how to wear. I still don't know. And maybe, I, maybe it's good that I haven't conditioned to this of like how to effectively feel like I'm at work at my house and how to totally feel like I'm at home when I'm with her. When now, I, I, before the pandemic, I did not have my work email on my phone. You know, I do now, you know, just the lines being, being blurred. So blurred. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I resonate a lot with what you're sharing. And I know, Anthony, you have a godson. And I'm curious what you're hearing about the older kids. Because I, I so yeah. much resonate, Joe, with, with your story. And yeah, trying to find joy in those early moments. And then being like, okay, this is going on longer than I thought. <laughs> and I'm not an educator. And I don't have the energy of a three-year-old. And so I'm not a replacement sure. for her playmates. Um, but I'm curious, Anthony, what has been, you know, what are you hearing about your godson or what's been the experience of sort of the older kids in, in managing? Yeah, so my godson is a high school senior um, and so going to be in the college process and interested in places like maybe UNC and, and some other places. Um, but, but yeah, what has really been hard for him, he's talked about is just that period of time through this of just not being able to see friends and, and get together with people and not being able to be active outside the home and, and so many things we take for granted of what it means to, you know, get to go to school or get to go to the office and how that shifts what you might be doing and those, those divisions, um, that are kind of set up for us between what's home, what's school, what's work. Um, and so that's been, that's been really difficult for him. Um, and is the main thing he's talked about of just almost like, almost like a boredom of, I just want to be able to be out there and doing things and, and be active and, you know, being young generally, I've, I've come to the theory watching him grow up that watching him with his parents was there. I thought he was a well-behaved kid. And it seemed like whenever there was like just little bits of like, them being annoyed it was really just because they couldn't handle that he had so much energy and wanted to talk and <laughs> i could just see the adults being like i've been working all week and we just have <laughs> silence and and that can be i think hard to hard to navigate so remembering again that he's still you know a teenager and so has a lot of energy would like to be with friends and and that's really hard and i think a lot of our students um have experienced that are experiencing that of <laughs> of what that's meant to be away from campus and not seeing people um, or even to be on campus, but be trying to sort of quarantine or stay socially distant and, and how it can feel really isolating in that. And you lose a great part of the college experience, which is the social aspect of it. So, so yeah, that's, that's what I've especially heard from him is that, that social aspect of things that's been, that's been lost and he enjoys school, enjoys being at school. And so not having been at school for a, for a good bit of time. And now I think they're back in a staggered way. Um, so not every day, but, but that was just disruptive as well was what he's yeah. talked about. Yeah, I think that's so important. And I think, you know, when this started, I don't know that people were paying as much attention to the mental health of kids. I think we all recognize for us that we're now working from home and we're not seeing our coworkers. There's not a lot of, you know, maybe separation from our work life and our home life. But there was this really precious moment where, you know, my daughter, she's, she's three and she was sort of asking, you know, can we go to the beach and can we go to the park? And she sort of went down all the things that her, our weekends in the summer typically include, like her dance class and the beach and the park. And I, we had had conversations with her about the coronavirus, not to scare her, but just to give her some context as much as a three-year-old can have about, you know, why things are, are not happening. And she goes, oh, that's right, the coronavirus. And it was just this, like heartwarming and precious moment of like, they're impacted as well. Um, and I wonder, Joe, if we could speak to a little bit of the pressure to parent to be like the perfect parent and the perfect worker. And like you were kind of saying, not feeling like you're doing any of that great. Um, and is there some allowance for like good enough? Like yeah. sometimes I'm just a good enough employee. I'm getting things done. But if I were in the office and the days now that we go back one day a week, I do notice <laughs> I'm so much more productive um, that one day a week. And so, yeah, I want to have you speak to kind of the pressure to parent and to be a worker um, during this pandemic. Yeah, yeah. I, I, oh, the story of your daughter. I've got friends who have kids that are three, so older than my daughter, um, and they call it germ season. And, okay. you know, kids will say, when germ season is over, I'm going to go in your house. You know, it was very clear, but, but Eleanor's not quite 
she gets it and <laughs> loves to wear her mask. We like to leave her mask on at home, in the car, just loves the mask. I don't get it. I'm like, I hate that thing. I want it off my face. But maybe, I think that the daycare was calling him, calling them superheroes, you know, and doing some oh, nice, you know, some nice reframing. So maybe she's just feeling, feeling like a hero. Uh, and she likes that. Uh, but it's interesting. Um, there was a period of time when I was feeling really grateful for her being, if she turned to during this time, for being her age, like, oh, maybe she's not really going to remember it, but now I'm feeling like she's going to remember it. Um, and, and one of the things that we're noticing um, is that she's a little bit scared of other people, people that are not her um, teacher. Well, and she was actually a little scared of her teachers when she went back, but not scared of her regular adults. So that, that plays into sort of like this pressure to parent. It's trying to figure out like, kind of the, what are the sort of typical developmental things that are going on and how to be attuned to those and how they are different because of the pandemic and sort of what's going to be different for them being two and three and four, you know, that age and what they're going to, how they relate to other people, what feels safe, what feels okay. And, um, you know, my daughter watches a lot of Sesame Street, a lot of Sesame Street. She didn't watch any Sesame Street before the pandemic. <laughs> Um, but she watches Sesame Street. She says, talk, talk about my sassy friends. So we have a, a ritual, you know, multiple times a day of like how Ernie relates to Bird and then how what Big Bird does and you have to go in the right order and say the right things and the whole thing. Um, so, and I, but it was like letting that happen. Like it's got to happen, right? Mm -hmm. Like she's going to have to sit in front of a screen. People have work to do. People have meetings. Um, and also being kinder to myself, you know, there was, there was a dissertation group meeting where Eleanor showed up and popped her face in as we were talking about, you know, it, it, it shared this with Nancy, there was a group of um, all female identified students, none of whom are parents and we're talking about when am I going to get to be a parent because I'm just trying to get my PhD. And then a two year old's face is in the screen and I'm like, well, dang it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it was like also some levity, you know, other pieces, right. but like, you know, that kind of, st letting that kind of stuff happen and just be, and, um, you know, yeah, lots more TV time, eating kind of whatever, whenever, and not, um, not getting too wrapped up and trying to pay attention to the like, okay, she's, she's having trouble relating to people, you know, sort of know, trying to regulate for myself, like, what am I actually worried about, and what's, like, mm. what can we tolerate, what's okay, you know, and I think I am really fortunate that I've got two other adults, you know, around to help, and she's back in school, and, um, you know, my husband, for better or for worse, for a while, you know, his work was not meetings oriented, so he was off and on, because I needed to be in places at given times, mm -hmm. um, so he was off and on, which, which help, but yeah, I feel for people that don't have the, the same level of support, and I wonder about students, I mean, I haven't talked to any student parents during the pandemic, like, I haven't gotten a phone screen from a student parent, I haven't talked to them, but I really wonder how they're kind of managing that, especially if they've got kids that are also doing school on Zoom, yeah. and yeah. they're trying to take, and they're trying to take classes on Zoom, and that, like, I can't even imagine sort of how to balance that or manage that. And when you think about the isolation and, and, you know, yeah, I agree with you. We haven't seen a ton of student parents, but just thinking about some of the issues that everyone's facing during this pandemic and then, you know, layering on all of the different stressors, you can imagine that's probably a really vulnerable group. Um, and so, again, if you're a student parent listening to this, please feel free to contact CAPS for a phone screen appointment. We have um, therapists, counselors available to speak with you and support you. Um, during this time, and we're all living it too. And, and Anthony and I talk a lot about, you know, the really difficult thing sometimes as providers, as helpers, is that we're also living this. And so it's important for us to do just what we're doing today, kind of talk to our colleagues and stay connected because we're the ones that people go to when they need support. And yet we're also feeling isolation, the stress, the role strain. Um, you talked a little bit, Joe, about like, you know, figuring out, you know, this is going to happen. What do I focus on? How much do I tolerate? And I find that that's something that's been really helpful to kind of let go of some of that inner critic of like, you know, my house is going to be spotless and, and, 
in ways that when I was separate, going to work and picking up my, my daughter, there was a little bit more expectation for that. And now it's just like, this is what, you know, it is what it is. Anthony can, um, can attest. I was in a meeting with him earlier this week and we're talking and it's a pretty serious meeting. And, you know, not earth changing, but we're, we're all in and invested in out of nowhere. My daughter's toys just start singing. And so I'm like, gotta find that toy and turn it off because it's singing in Spanish and counting. And, and it was just this moment of like, this is what we're all living through though, right? Like we're all in our homes doing the best we can. And so I think there's been a lot of flexibility that I've seen, um, a lot of allowances for things that typically maybe we didn't, excuse me, have a lot of room for. Um, last semester, Anthony and I worked with one of our in pre-doctoral interns who was also a, a parent and really tried to give permission to like let go of some of the expectation that a two-year-old is not going to be in your screen because it's going to happen, <laughs> you know? You can only do so much. Um, this is unprecedented times. We are not, this is not normal. And so we're doing the best we can, but um, yeah, it's, it's not something that any of us were trained in or pre prepared for. Um, so yeah, Anthony, what are you hearing or seeing kind of from students thinking about the isolation? Um, I don't know if you have any student parents on your, on your caseload, but um, even if not, talk to us about what you're seeing with students right now. Yeah, I'm thinking I'll I'll get to that. I'll I'll just okay. continue what you were what you were also mentioning about kind of the the intern we had previously, and I think that that was a good reminding me of some things because because we can be get critical of ourselves, we can want to show up very professionally, we can want to do it all in the way we might in a non-pandemic time and give what we would give then. It can be hard to we can put more pressure and it can create even more, um, yeah, just more distress around certain things because I would notice when kind of that person's child would, would come into yeah. the picture, that brought me joy. I would have a smile on my face. I thought it was adorable. I thought it was fun. It didn't feel super disruptive for me because I think one, I was sort of like, well, this is what we're living in. So I don't have expectations and I can let that go. So it felt more like a, a breath of fresh air to see sort of an innocent, adorable kid. But you could also see the pressure for a parent to feel like, I need to manage this. I need to get them out of the screen so that they're not disrupting whatever is happening. And so just thinking about that pressure people can put on themselves. And so you're all talking about forgiveness, letting go of some things. Those are messages I hope people will hear during this pandemic and particularly at a place like UNC where we see a lot of perfectionism amongst our students that is a lesson I think to learn you know I try to I try to think of positive things I try to think of in this time what are some other things I might take and be grateful for even if this is a difficult moment so things like I've never had the opportunity to work remotely before and so I've I've worked remotely at times from, say, my parents' house. And yeah. then I get to do work during the day, but can still spend some time with them, even more time than I might normally. And so I try to look for those little silver linings, even in this difficult moment. And I think part of what people can also take is, again, what can we be grateful for that maybe we've overlooked previously? Or what could we change that maybe before seemed to work okay, but can eventually get us in trouble. And we know as therapists, perfectionism will get you in trouble eventually because we're human beings. We have so many flaws. We can't even talk about them all on this podcast. <laughs> and so eventually you're going to explode that whole myth of perfection. And so this is a time for people to really work on letting go of that and doing, and there is a do the best you can. And I think if we show up and give it the best we have, most people will appreciate that and most things will will go well and fine. And we can support each other in that of, of saying, you know, Joe, are you saying in a moment, I needed to do this, I needed to forgive myself in that way, gives me permission to do it, gives other people permission to do it. Um, and that's that's even part of why we were having this episode to talk about parenting was a hope people might hear that message of, 
it's hard to parent on the best day ever in the history of the world. <laughs> so <laughs> in a in a pandemic, Joe is joining us from a completely different location because of internet concerns and all mm-hmm. the rest of it. So flexibility, let it go, giving ourselves forgiveness and grace. These are just these are just important things. So, so th- there's, there's that that I'm thinking about. And mm-hmm. so if I think about the pressure students are bringing up in this time, part of it is accepting that piece of things um, and accepting what that may mean for their work and accepting to communicate. Because what I've also been hearing is a number of stories, and it can be for undergrads, but it can be for grad students too, that there have been a lot of professors who have been very understanding in this process. Yeah and who will give some extra time on things, have been very helpful in understanding. And I really appreciate, I almost wish I had knew who they were and could kind of reach out. And I hope the students are expressing thanks because I, it's not even one time that I've heard of that. I have heard that story several times from students that I've been acting, interacting with since this pandemic of the ways that their professors and instructors have been very helpful at taking some pressure off when it was hard to get an assignment done or a student is beating themselves up because they're not performing at the level they are accustomed to. And the ways that um, our professors and instructors at UNC have been really um, gracious in that and really helpful helping people think things through and, um, and helping people to calm and helping people to not get into such a guilt spiral with that. So that's, that's some of what I've been, what I've been hearing with students and really um, been happy to hear about the professors being um, being really supportive. Yeah, yeah. As you're as you're saying that, I'm thinking. You know, I was I've been sitting with hearing about your godson and thinking of the seniors and just how the graduating seniors this past spring had a very different experience, both undergrad and even our high school graduates um, of living through a pandemic. And so thinking about acknowledging the loss, acknowledging that, you know, this is different and this is, yeah, like you were saying, this is hard. This may not have been what I was prepared for and, right? And can we hold multiple things as true? Um, And I think that's been helpful in parenting during this pandemic as well. So Joe, I'll give you a chance to speak to how you've managed to sort of hold both as true. But I like what you were saying earlier about what's been nice about it is like finding the joy and having a little bit more time with your with your daughter um because anthony i've talked in the past and, and you know one of the gifts of this time is having a little bit more time slower mornings for instance you know before pre-covid there's there's pre and post-covid in my mind pre-covid my mornings were really really busy and rushed and that was our norm right because we get i get out the door and and i commute so there's like a window of time that i've got to get in there um, and now it's a little bit more more slow, um, and I'm able to spend a little bit more time, you know, teaching and also getting getting my daughter ready for school. Um, and so, yeah, there's some hard stuff. It is hard being in the house all the time and, and not necessarily having the things that I usually do to cope. Um, so I guess I have two things I want to say. One is that Anthony has really been helpful, though, in reminding me of just getting outside. I, I think I hit a wall a few weeks ago where... I was just like, how have we been doing this for six months? Like, this can't keep going on. And, and I was really pessimistic and down. And, um, and one of the things that he sort of gently encouraged for not just me, but other staff was just, you know, getting outside. In the moment, I kind of was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I started just getting out, even for 20, 30 minutes of just walking around. And I can tell you, it has been helpful for energy, for helping me kind of just yeah, see things a little bit differently for finding a little bit of joy in like, hey, you are home, you're safe, you have a home to be in um, when so many people have lost things during this pandemic. So that's the one point I wanted to make is that I think there is something about changing your perspective and looking at it from multiple angles and not just what you've lost, but is, can there be some, some things that are gained and then I'm curious with a two-year-old what that looks like, you know, um, what are some maybe fun rituals or things that you're able to do now with, with um, Eleanor that maybe you weren't able to do before? Yeah, for sure. And I'm thinking too about Anthony had me reflecting about um, the modeling of sort of imperfection and being kind to yourself that we're able to do as therapists. And it sounds like professors are doing that a little bit more 
now too and i'm thinking about just some space in these relationships that sometimes can feel really professional um, and, and constricted in some ways and how self-disclosure for me has changed with clients and I think also I've talked to clients who's like oh my professor's got their kids at home right and like but really in a, like a similar to you talking about our former intern of like oh that's really fun I get to see that they have a kid and sort of just the humanness has been I think a really beautiful thing and I'm glad to hear that people are feeling supported by faculty and I've heard from grad students about faculty being more flexible about dissertation and it's a funny place for grad students to be because they're, they're like wait but shouldn't I do way more you know and they're they're saying you know give yourself permission to you know you don't have to go in all these directions and this is an this is an extraordinary time that we're living in and you could cut this back and they're a little bit unsure about taking that on and I think that makes sense and I'm sure undergrads are feeling that way too but I hope this does you know they're seeing they're seeing their therapist at CAPS in their home spaces, right? They're learning more about us, it, but it's okay. You know, it's a good thing. It's a modeling thing. Yeah. Um, so I think about that just as well. Um, and in terms of ritual, I totally agree about getting outside. We spend a lot of time outside in the yard. At the beginning of the pandemic, I went and bought a slide and a pool, you know, a little blow up pool, like these things, because I was thinking, you know, how are we going to be inside? all this time and um so it's nice to go you know to go on evening walks regularly and um also have have some slower mornings and just time to not i feel like my mental to-do list i don't know if it's shorter or i'm just more flexible about it or like a little bit more like all these things are going to happen right and we've got a little bit more breathing room, not having to do the commute, and maybe it's allowed me to be, to engage in more noticing and feeling more present with what's happening with my daughter in the moment and sort of noticing, you know, just how curious she is, things that she's learning. I mean, I don't think, I mean, pre-pandemic, I wouldn't have been able to have a pinpoint on when she started using a certain word or a certain phrase. And I feel like during the pandemic, we've been able to, in the evenings, um, when all my sister was living with us, the three of us would sit and sort of talk about what happened that day. And like, oh, now she's talking in this way. And I think the sort of tiredness of routine before pandemic and driving, just all the different pieces made it like, I wanted to notice those things more because I had less opportunity, but I also feel like I was less able to to see them. Mm -hmm. So I think even just not even like, it doesn't even feel like there's specific things that we do, but there's just more room to be present for whatever kind of is happening and to let her lead. I mean, when she was home for four months, we had to let her lead. You know, it's sort of like, I've got meetings, but she's in charge. Like if she's banging on the, on this glass door, like I'm going to open the door, you know, like she's going to, she's going to come in. Or she's gonna play the, you know, play the music toy or whatever. I think just about two weeks ago, public playgrounds opened in Durham again, so that has been a yeah. huge joy because um, my daughter's daycare is reopened, but they close at two thirty, so it's a shorter day. So we've got to figure out what to do for many hours before bed, so being able to being able to play again and give her opportunities to be connected to other kids. And, yeah. Oh. <laughs> but but, <laughs> there, but it does, but, you know, there are a lot of gifts in this time. And I do feel like transition, what it's going to be like to transition back. I don't even know. And wondering about, Anthony, you were speaking to like things that we used to do or hold on to that maybe we're going to make some shifts around. I am really curious for students and for us and for everybody kind of what are we going to want to keep doing that we've learned to do for ourselves and each other in the pandemic and is there going to be institutional flexibility kind of at the university to allow for that and I think people probably are um, maybe getting a better sense of, of what works for them what they need as we're having this the conversation Aaron was mentioning about and you all were talking about getting outside what that can mean for people just want to plug that we have um, a group we call nature rx which is a group that's very much about getting out into nature, how that can relate to positive mental health. And there's a lot of studies that 
I'm not going to go into, but there's, there's a lot of evidence for what nature can mean for us as human beings and how that can promote um, really sort of positive, higher level, stronger mental health in people. And so that's a group I want to mention because I think that could be an opportunity anyone listening to this could get connected to that could be really helpful, particularly in this time where we're spending a lot of time inside and in, on screens to do school and work and, and those kind of things. And so the Nature Rx group could be a really good resource for people. And I also want to mention that at CAPS, we have a parent support group. It, it's not running in, in this current semester, but the hope is for it to have it run in the spring. And so anyone listening to this, again, that could be something to contact CAPS around and to get some support. Um, if you identify as a parent and, and that's something that you're dealing with, that could be a really great, great area. And part of us wanting to do this podcast is we also know that can, that can that just creates another thing that presses on your time. It can be hard to then take the time for yourself to be able to focus on some other things around mental health. And um, you were mentioning earlier, Aaron, I think you were asking, I don't know if how many parents we've been seeing, student parents we've been seeing. And I don't think I've seen a ton. And some of that is Carolina has a more traditional population than some other places I've been. So I think there's just fewer parents. But I know when I've worked with parents in the past, it's in some ways what we've been talking about of a flexibility we've had to have even in our sessions of maybe sometimes we had a child in the session with us and join us because we say, okay, they're young enough, so they won't understand everything we're doing and they can be okay playing by themselves over here so it won't be disruptive or we don't get into depth this session because they're here with us so we don't go into trauma or anything like that. We just check in, support you in a different kind of way, um, or maybe kids have to wait in the waiting room. So the, it, it was always important to think about a flexibility in the times that I've worked with, with student parents, because childcare is not always there for them and other kinds of things. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I would expect some of that's happening during this pandemic. It might make it hard to reach out to CAPS for certain things just to find that time. And so I'll just mention um, kind of that can be a time to look at the CAPS website. We have a self-help section on there that could still give people a lot of helpful resources um, that they could go through, even if it seems like right now isn't the time to connect to some form of therapy, say. Um, and then Joe has been one of our staff instrumental in our work on our Retrain Your Brain workshop. And putting that online, that was something we were doing on person in COVID. We've transitioned it to online with videos and other things to present the material. And that is also something that can be accessed through our website and a really great resource for people. It's, it pulls a lot of information from um, similar to we have an anxiety-based group. So it pulls some information from that. It pulls in some skills around um, emotional management, distress tolerance kinds of things. And so it, it has a lot of really helpful skills um, that people can also utilize. So thinking about that, thinking about resources parents might be able to access when they have a sense they, don't, they won't be able to devote the time or energy to do say, an individual group therapy experience. There's still ways they could get resource through CAPS that could be helpful to so was there anything we haven't asked you joe or you haven't gotten to talk about you would love to uh, tell people or let's see um i guess the other thing i'll i'll say briefly is talk about self-compassion um think about just talking about groups that so we offer a self-compassion mindfulness group at CAPS we offer three sections of it a semester it's really popular students get a lot out of it um I think two of the three groups for this semester are full but also that you know self-compassion has been really helpful to me during this time having a practice of, of thinking about what do I need in this moment and can I offer that to myself can I take a uh, pause to offer that to myself. Um, I think that we're all really good at offering kindness and care and understanding to the people that we love, to our friends, to, you know, 
putting it outward, putting it outward, it, it can be really challenging to turn it, turn that inward. And I think there are some, some really um, accessible ways to do that through some learning about self-compassion. And um, so encourage folks to consider that group in the future and also know that the self-compassion resources are really widely available on the web and you can, there are guided meditations and exercises and things that I think can be really helpful. But it's something that I've been thinking about a lot. I mean, we, this pandemic is truly this global collective experience, right? It's pretty easy to access the common humanity piece of not being alone. And certainly we're all contending with it and struggling with it and experiencing it in different ways, um, but that sometimes the feelings can be really similar. What we might need can be really similar. So encouraging folks to, to connect to that sense of common humanity when you're, when you're suffering or struggling and, and offering yourself some words of kindness or what you might, what you might need in the moment um, has been really, really helpful to me. And I've talked to lots of students who have gotten a lot out of just learning how to do that. And it's hard, but it's, but it's really helpful. Yeah. So glad that you, that you thought to share that because it really related to what we were just talking about and what we have been talking about, yeah. about flexibility, forgiveness, and self-compassion, how that can that can fit into that. Um, and so I think that brings us to a spot. And Aaron and Joe, I don't know if you know about this, but we like to finish up our episodes with, <laughs> with a section that we're calling Just Stop It. So just <laughs> some, some sort of message we want to deliver to people in, in maybe a more blunt way or more mm. sort of, but while being encouraging of just stop it, just stop with doing something, with approaching something a certain way that we know can get people in trouble, lead to more pain, more distress. And so I don't know if I have one in my head right now, Aaron or Joe, but I'm curious for you as I, as I say that, do you have a, a just stop it to share with, with our listeners as we get ready to close out the pod today? Mm, I'm thinking. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I do. Oh. Hmm. Aaron, do you have one? <laughs> well, I was thinking, Joe, of the idea, and Anthony touched on it too, of like holding yourself to this kind of impossible standard of perfection. Uh -huh. I've got to do it right and do it well and do it, you know, just perfect. And I think just stop it with thinking that, you know, you've got to do everything perfect. This is a pandemic that we're all living through. Offer yourself some compassion and some grace. Get outside if you can. Um, so maybe just stop holding yourself to this really impossible standard of perfection. Um, and that if we layer on the idea of parenting to that too, you know, the idea of, yes, our children might remember this time, but hopefully they'll remember the time we spent with them um, and how we kind of calm their fears and help them. And we're present. I love the idea, Joe, of like, in acknowledging like the presence and how competing energies at any time can really make it hard to stay in the moment. Um, and so, yeah, I would say as I was listening to all of us talk, but I was thinking about just stop holding myself to this impossible standard of perfection um, and just be mindful, be present, be in the moment and offer ourselves some compassion. I really love that, Erin. It makes me think of the tyranny of shoulds. You know, I feel like, you know, folks are, holding themselves to this, to how they, how they were, or even how they thought they needed to be before the pandemic. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that people can slow down and notice if this is creating some space for them, that, that there are other ways or other ways to engage in your work, other ways to, to be with yourself, other ways to talk to yourself, talk with folks who've developed new hobbies or things that they felt passionate about and sort of giving themselves permission to do those things because they don't have access to some of the stuff that they would normally do and the opportunity to, to maybe learn a little bit more about yourself and what you do really love and enjoy and doing those things more unabashedly, you know, the, the school stuff will happen, you know, you'll get, you'll get it done. Yeah. Yeah. As I, as I listened to you both talk and Erin, as you shared that, just stop it. With with uh, with the listeners and, and viewers of this, it made me think might need we might need a sneak we might need a sequel to this particular podcast that leads in because I'm just I'm thinking about how much perfectionism can play out for parents, 
as you just said, how much it can particularly play out for moms and, and what you can hear from that of the pressure that people can feel. You're both professional women and also navigating being mothers at the same time. And so there's a lot of pressure that can be wrapped up in, in those roles and, and identities and, and ways that people can want to be perfect. And also what that, that encouragement to just stop it can not only help with them, but also what it can teach to children of if we teach that perfectionism is a way to move through life what does that set children up for and we see some of the distress at the other end of that because again it's not possible and so I think I I like that that's what I was thinking of as you were sharing that that just stop it so who knows we might need to much like Hollywood (laughs) likes to make a sequel to everything to to cash in on that money I don't know that we're making any money, but maybe we'll cash in and <laughs> and do a sequel to this particular to this particular podcast. But it's been it's been a real pleasure getting to have Joe on today to to welcome her to to the pod and get to talk a bit about parenting, her journey, and just really and just really again, great to get to see you today. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was so fun. So nice to talk with both of you. Yeah. Thank you.